all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Follow us at Insta, X, TikTok, Facebook, Twitch, Blue Sky, and Threads at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group, our subreddit, and our Discord. Do all of those things. <laughs> that was a hint. Could you tell what I, I was I'm just, I've, I can't remember dun, what it was. Dun. Da, da, dum, yeah. dun, dun, New York, New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gives you a little hint as to the setting okay. of today's episode. The city and or the state? The city specifically, oh, okay. yes. As we know, to the rest of the country, there's New York City and everything else is upstate New York. Yes. <laughs> so this is about your home, a city in your home state. Yes. But... The city that gets all the attention in your home state. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it is a world city. As yes, we know. for sure. <clears throat> yes. So we have entered, well, we are into our season of lightheartedness and miracle soaps. Yes. If things go according to plan, we will have an intense miracle soap next week. Okay. For Christmas, for our Christmas episode. And are miracle soaps supposed to be intense though? They can be. Remember, <laughs> yes, our very can. first one was was the, it the, the ski lodge? The yes, thread bow landslide, something like that. But it, a lot of people died, but the one guy survived. Mm-hmm. It it's True. gonna be it's gonna be a bit more on that yeah, on that, that on side that, of on things. That tinge. Yes, and then uh, you mentioned doing a script. Maybe you give us a fun New Year's Day script. It's possible. <laughs> That's all I can say. Well, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it depends on what I do and don't have to do at work on Friday, but we'll see. But then you have the following week off from work, so you could do it then. We'll see. <laughs> but if I just said, we'll see. Then uh, I guess we won't have a podcast. <laughs> we, yeah, funny how that works. <laughs> we'd be doing uh, just listener scripts just to, from here on out. Which, you know what? There's a chance we could do that. Just from say, the sheer say. volume of listener scripts we get, which is highly appreciated because you know what's going to happen after January 1st? Listener script. Guarantee you. Because this has been a lot of research all in a row that I'm not used to anymore. So, but. Anyway. Anywho. So, we know where the, the setting of this this week's episode is. Um, so, <clears throat> there's no hints for this because I don't... I had only just recently heard of this. So, I, it's not... The biggest story ever, but... Is this when the Ghostbusters saved Manhattan? <laughs> that wasn't a disaster, though. Well, it kind of was. I mean, a lot of New York City was destroyed. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> there's a good... See, there's a good lighthearted Halloween episode. Yeah, Halloween episode. Maybe. All right. So this is the story of 432 Park Avenue. For those in Manhattan's most elite circles, where you live in one of the most expensive cities in the world is crucial. 
Beginning in the late 2010s, such New York residents have had the option of living in the new 432 Park Avenue building, and those who have moved into the exclusive residences have often regretted it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Intriguing, no? It's like some Stephen King type of shit. <clears throat> Oh, wow. <laughs> like like horror movie scary stuff? Well, you know, just like suspense. Not, not, yeah, Stephen King's a little too much on the horror bend. But, yeah. Uh, but, you know, like a little, uh, I don't know, hearing things at night. And... There is some hearing of things. Okay. Well, we'll get to it. All we'll right. get to it. Yeah. So primary sources. Things are, things are overheard. <laughs> uh, primary sources are Architectural Digest. Discovery, mm. Forbes, Fortune, Gizmodo, The Guardian, The Real Deal, Redfin, The New York Times, and Wikipedia. I actually subscribed to The New York Times for the purposes of this story. It was like a dollar a week subscription for promotion, whatever. Um, because mo- a lot of this came from The New York Times. This is a very New York story. Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> and a shout out to my sister for suggesting this topic because I had never heard about it before. And it's very fun to watch Calamity fall, Befall the Rich. <laughs> Just kind of what this, <laughs> the, the, this episode is about. So, I have lived in the Miami suburbs, briefly lived in Back Bay in Boston. I do know what it's like to live in a high cost of living area. Sure. Um, in a pretty... Well, I mean, Boston's somewhat an international city, too, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Miami, for for certain. Absolutely. But this was all a long time ago. Sure. We're talking like 15 years or 20 years. Uh, and at the time, I was a really young adult. I wasn't necessarily needing to, like, rent an apartment, fend for myself entirely, you know. So, <clears throat> um, I I guess all, that to, all of that is to say... I've always been really interested in how anyone who is not a cabillionaire is able to live in a big, expensive city. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are not rich who live in New York City. Yeah, it's basically... Because, I mean, I've known people who live there or who live in the surrounding area. Mm -hmm. And it's basically like there's no middle class. Right, yeah. You're either... Rich or poor, kind of. You're either making Mm -hmm. it or you're just scraping by. And if you can make it here... Yep, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, so if we're being honest, of course, the answer is you can't live in an expensive city unless you've got some money. Yeah, it's like one of those yeah. places where if you're making like three, four hundred grand, like that's just barely cutting you're, it. You're okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. So one of the places that has been on the top of the expensive cities list for decades, if not longer, is of course New York City. In 2022, the World Economic Forum ranked the city as the second most expensive city in the world, second only to Singapore. Oh, I was going to say London. Uh, no. Oh. No. Uh, okay, we're going to have a lot of money talk in this and lots of op- a lot of times for you to Samsonite or nail some guesses. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. I did a lot of Googling about average costs and stuff. Oh, man. Currently. So... The average cost of a studio apartment with an average size of about 450 square feet <laughs> in, New York City. Is in New York City. Now, this is the whole of New sure. York City, right? So it can include boroughs. Sure. So it's an average. I'm How gonna, much do you think? I'm going to say like 2500 bucks. You're not far off. $3,000. Jesus fuck. For something that's mm-hmm. half the size of this? Yeah, half the size of our house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. my God. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, what if you need a bedroom? <laughs> oh, shit, that's right. It's just a studio. <laughs> yes. Oh, damn. <laughs> that kicks the price up $600, so $3,600 a month average. I lived in a studio one summer in between apartments, and it was two months of that drove me insane. Yeah. What was the, <laughs> I've never lived in a studio. What was the hardest thing about it? Or what was... It's just one room. So you just always feel like you're in the same yeah, room. Yeah, it's know? just very, yeah. Thankfully, all, like, all of my neighbors were cool, so we used yeah. to hang out, like, on uh, the front porch and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, be, you could only be in the room for so long. Yeah. Because you're cooking in there. You're, yeah. You're all the... It's Living, sleeping, cooking, All everything. in one room. Yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. it drove me insane. And that was only for two months. Where was that? When, when was in, that? In uh, Rochester. Oh, okay. Um... Okay, so now let's say you want two or more bedrooms. <laughs> then you're talking five thousand to sixty-two hundred dollars, roughly, mm-hmm. per Christ. month. And we're not even talking about a mortgage here. We're no, talking no, no, about, no. This we're is rent. About this is hundred. This is all rent. This is yeah. insane. Of course, those prices vary widely depending sure. on the neighborhood you're in. For example, the average rent in Harlem, and this is for. This is just average rent period for all sizes and everything is $3,000 a month. So presumably you could find a studio for much cheaper. More bedrooms would be higher. But the average rent on the Lower West Side and in the West Village is closer to $7,000 a month. Holy shit. And neighborhoods in New York, from what I understand, change hotness over, like, trendiness over time. Sure. So what might be, like, uh, like the meatpacking district used to be literally a meatpacking district and, and then became, like, very chic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it just depends. Well, I mean, it's such a big area. Well... It's such a, like, densely packed area. Yes, it is. We'll put mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that trends can come and go that are trend-setting the world, like, mm-hmm. just within this little area. Right. That's, like, you know, what, 25 square miles, something right. like that, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and now that didn't take into account that, that, you know, that neighborhood thing was only in Manhattan. It does not take into account any of the boroughs. So it's entirely possible you could live in Queens or the Bronx oh, sure. or something and get cheaper rent. But, you know. <clears throat> not likely, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're also talking about, I mean, if you want to include the whole tri-state, which you pretty much mm-hmm. have to because all those people live and work like in the New York City area. Mm-hmm. But, uh I'm sure Connecticut and New Jersey are oh, no, yeah. are no cheaper. Yeah, Pro- probably more expensive in yeah, Connecticut. Possibly, possibly. Um, now, according to the most recent census, the median household income in New York City between 2018 and 2022 was seventy six thousand six hundred seven dollars, and that math does not math. No, not so. No, not even close. Um. And I, I, since I can't make and that's that, a pretty high median too. It is a high median, but not when you look at those not rent when you prices. Look at town, not when you live in New York City. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that was the median income here, like people would be freaking killing it. <laughs> yes, although our cost of living has risen quite a yeah, bit in recent times, that's not true. To, not anywhere near New York City levels, but still. Um, and that is for the city as a whole, so it probably does include boroughs and everything. So it's not a direct comparison, but I'm just trying to give some ideas about um, money <laughs> and how it works there. 
So given how expensive it is to live in the city, it's probably no surprise that New York City has the highest population of millionaires in the world. Sure. Which means exactly that people with a net worth of a million dollars or more, and there are an estimated one million high net worth individuals living in the city. That's crazy. Yeah. So so when we're talking about, you know, a $3,000 apartment you might be able to find in Harlem... And we're talking about the the households earning the $76,000 a year, not the people who have millions and millions in net worth. So for those with higher wealth, of course, they can afford nicer places and can maybe even afford to purchase a home within their city. We're going to have to watch, uh, I think it was Ennis. We haven't watched an mm-hmm. Ennis episode in a while, but I'm pretty sure because... Um, yeah. uh, Derek Jeter just put his uh, Manhattan oh, wow. house up for sale and I think he does a tour of it. Wow. Yeah. And that that dude's net worth is pretty fucking high. Yeah. So I'm guessing his penthouse was pretty sick. You know, and we're going to get into costs of like some of these really, cre- you know, wildly big, like amazing penthouse type places. But something that did strike me, because I've I watched Selling Sunset on Netflix, you <laughs> know, which are like these Hollywood Hills homes. They're pretty cool homes. They are cool homes yeah. and they're huge, yeah. right? They're like and even 8, the not so square. huge ones are some of them, yeah. Are like that's a nice little like niche looking house mm-hmm. that they have. They routinely sell houses that are two to seven million dollars, right? And they're yeah, like, that seems to be like an average, like yeah. almost like a low end. Yeah, exactly. Those are the mi- middle class yeah. homes, right? And they are <laughs> those are the middle class millionaires. Yes, and they are routinely three thousand, four thousand, five thousand square feet, right? Even the rich, rich houses. In gen or apartments mostly in general in New York City, two to four thousand maybe. Right. They do not have the space no. for even the rich do not have the space in New York City. You know so. Um, yeah, none of the, and, and none of that real estate is coming with a lawn or property or mm-hmm. it's the physical space and that's it. That's right. It doesn't even come with a parking spot generally. Nope. No, that's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can buy, sometimes you can buy a parking space for the cost of a house. That was the other thing that sucked about living in Rochester. Everything sucked about living in Rochester. Fuck that city. But, uh, um. Not anyone living in it. No, but I, I did not enjoy living there. But anyway, but, uh, when I first worked for Clear Channel, that was the first time in my life I had to pay for parking because the the main building was right in the middle of downtown. So did you have to park in the street or? No, I had to pay for, if you wanted to park, like, because you had to, like, have access to the building. Yeah. So, yeah, it was 60 bucks a month. And I'm like, uh, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like for your to, permit to or something? park my car? Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, that does suck. That does suck. So the median sale price for a house in Manhattan, median, right? Not average, but median, is, do you know how, can you guess how much? I, I'm going to say we're going like, maybe like three, four million, something like that. This is a Samsonite moment. Oh. Just under one point one million. It's oh, actually really? a lot. Now oh, that's okay. median. Of sure. course, there must more much more expensive homes. That's true. But in comparison, and basically this only works for us because we live here, the median sale price of, for a home in Raleigh is around four hundred ten thousand. Okay. So it's like close to triple that. Sure. Of course, if you are ultra ultra rich, then not only are you a millionaire buying a home in Manhattan. You are a developer building homes for other rich people in Manhattan. Um, And one such developer is a man named Harry B. Macklow. 
Okay. Now, of course, Harry is what most rich old people like to call a self-made man. And by that, we mean he was born in 1937 and got into the New York real estate game in 1958. He's 21 years old. Yes. When the average price per square foot of a home in New York was between twelve and twenty-five dollars. Now, to adjust that for inflation, it's roughly one hundred forty-two dollars to two hundred sixty dollars. The average price per square foot of a home in New York as of twenty twenty-two, two thousand twelve dollars. I was so, jokingly going to say, is it like ten times that? I it is. Been it is ten pretty, times pretty that. Close. So even adjusting for inflation, oh even adjusting for inflation, it has gone up an additional ten times. So, so the thing is that that's why like these, you know, first of all, there's the people who have daddy's money and they call themselves self-made, right? By all, from what I can tell, that's not Harry necessarily, but he was just, he's just such an old fucker that <laughs> he got in on it early enough, right? Sure. Yeah. So, you know. Back when, I mean, you didn't need to be like, when he was coming up, you didn't need to be a rich person to buy Right, exactly. Like a Manhattan property, like you, cab drivers and stuff like that, bought their own homes and stuff like that back then. Many, many those, middle those days are gone. Low, working in middle <laughs> class, single income families mm-hmm. could easily afford to buy a home. Yeah. We're in the middle of a housing crisis, in case anybody didn't know, and I'm sure everybody knows because everybody knows it's the cost of their housing. I think too. Yeah, and just inflation is out of control. Anyway, that's why I thought this this background is pertinent right um so by 1964 harry's firm was making the papers for its park making papers like the headlines you know in new york for its park avenue sales so by the time this guy's like he's not even 30 yet he's already wheeling and dealing on park avenue which you know just the name park avenue everyone Mm -hmm. knows what that means that's rich bitch territory right by 1971, the New York Times was calling his company, Wolf and Macklow Company Incorporated, quote, a major real estate organization, end quote. And Harry had moved into building and developing. In the early 80s, he was on to building luxury rental properties. In addition to office buildings, he built the River Tower with rents starting at $1,475 in the 80s. Adjusted for inflation, that's around $5,000. Okay. And made sure to note, uh, per the Times, so this is this is a quote from Harry talking about this building, quote, all the tenants are Americans, with the exception of one foreign businessman. End quote. Because that mattered in the 80s? I don't know. He must have been a Soviet. <laughs> Well, this is 1981, so yeah, it is Cold War times. Yeah, they're like that one over there. <laughs> now, Harry became a polarizing figure in New York when he ordered the demolition of several buildings in Times Square without permits. What the fuck? And without concern for structural integrity and at night. Yeah, the, yeah. The, he just went and had buildings torn down. <laughs> Demolished at yep. night. That's mm-hmm. not safe at all. Yep. Like, literally, people were like, suddenly just stuff was falling from the sky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. This is the shit these idiots pull, right? So his company eventually paid out $2 million, almost $6 million today, for doing that. And one of its executives, not Harry, pleaded guilty to criminal misdemeanor charges for it. <laughs> 
but just to kind of show what path Harry is taking here. Yeah. You know, by the time he's like in his 40s, gaining on his 50s. That this idiot, this fucking old bastard is still alive. He's 86. Really? Just, just yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. The 90s were initially not particularly good to Harry. The New York City real estate market hit the skids and he lost some of his investments due to foreclosure. But this is a town, and let's face it, a country, where eventually shrewdness and conniving in business is rewarded handsomely. See, Donald J. Trump. (laughs) A.K.A. fuckface. And highs and lows, the, the highs are high, the lows are lows, and that's to be expected. Because this is the man, Harry Macklow, that the Times called, quote, the developer whose career has died a thousand deaths, end quote. So he's constantly sure. been failing and rebuilding and failing and rebuilding. And yet he remains still, which we'll get into. Oh, and hey, speaking of Trump, speaking of our fuckface, uh, if you think that he and Harry maybe crossed paths more than once, well, then you'd be absolutely right. Of course they did. Right? Because yeah. this is what this is what fuckface did in well, New York, is, too. Right. This is New York real estate. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. not not ex- they're not exactly on the same level of each other, but they're in the same business. You know? I uh, in in what sense do you think they're not on the same level? Well, well, I guess Trump well, was a big developer and or investor. I think towards the end, though, he wasn't necessarily a CEO. He was just slapping his name on things. But this, well, he yeah. he does enjoy doing that. Yes, this guy seems more of the but yeah. They, obviously, they're both shrewd businessmen. Shrewd businessmen. Yes. Um, so in 1998, Trump and the investment firm Conseco, no relation to the twins. <laughs> <laughs> Ozzy and Jose? Yes. It's now called CNO Financial Group. They brought, bought the General Motors building, the GM building. And the GM building is a 50-story office building on the southeast end of Central Park, built in 1968 that, yes, once housed a GM showroom in the lobby, hence the name. Trump and Conseco bought the building for, at that time, this is 1998, $878 million. Now that's around $1.65 billion, almost double. And that was thanks largely due to a hefty $700 million loan from Lehman Brothers. Can Mm. you tell us who Lehman Brothers is, or what Lehman Brothers is known for? Uh, Well, just a couple of years later, they would uh, completely fold with... um... Due to, due to Enron, right? They were one of the fallouts of that? They, oh, they were the, that's what it was. Okay. Yep, this was the 08 mortgage crisis. I, I, I forgot what financial scandal it was. Yes, it's S- hard to remember. Silly me. <laughs> but yeah, I, I knew they were mm-hmm. part of the uh, wreckage of some... Crisis. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, fallen vessel. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. So in terms of cash out of pocket, this remember, this is an $878 million sale. Trump shelled out... Only eleven million dollars, or a little shy of twenty-one million today, on the sale. Because if there's one thing a shrewd capitalist with a string of bankrupted companies behind them knows, it's that you should always gamble with other people's money. Yeah, and that's all he's ever done. Mm-hmm. All he's ever done, and lost, by the way. But he's losing other people's money, not his own. In exchange, he was allowed to brand the building with his name in giant gold letters. F-U-C-K-F-A-C-E, you know? Because that's a thing that men do when trying to win the love and affection of their withholding fathers. 
which is what Trump has been doing his entire life. In 2000, Canseco tried to divest, get out of this building, by selling all of its interest to Trump. But the deal fell through just after 9-11 because Trump's financier, Deutsche Bank, would not guarantee the mortgage note's value, which was a condition of the deal set by Canseco. So basically, Trump was going to take on the rest of the building, ownership of the rest of the building, right? Mm -hmm. He was going to do it through a mortgage note, through financing from Deutsche Bank. But because this was just after 9-11, all giant skyscrapers were seen as potential terrorist targets. And so Canseco was like, we will totally sell this to you, but you have to guarantee the loan. And Deutsche Bank was like, we are not guaranteeing (laughs) anything. Not guaranteeing jack shit. (laughs) Do you see what just happened last month? Yes. Trump sued Canseco and lost because ultimately, as we all know, Trump is the ultimate fucking fuckface loser. Uh, Though you wouldn't know to ask him because he is delusional. So in the immortal words of of Trump, this, this eloquent orator, this is a direct quote from him in the New York Times. Are you ready? Sure. Quote. It's a great building in a great location. I did a great job in order to make it a great building. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does this man have no vocabulary? <laughs> well, did I mean, he never play Mad Libs? You know what the you know what the strange thing is going to be. It's going to be very easy for AI to. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I mean, no one will know the difference. He's been literally saying like the same words, like tremendous in a mixture for, oh. but he. It is fucking world, word salad. Like, five, take the same five words, put them in any well, it's order. good, it great, excellent. Billions. Billions and billions. and, and bi- Billions and billions and billions. There's a clip of him saying that nonstop yes. for over five minutes. <laughs> I'm and, pretty sure we discussed that before, yeah. but yes. <laughs> so, I mean. Ah. Uh, but yeah. So, you but know. He's, he's also going to be our next president. So. Again, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. So, as a result of the lawsuit, which fuckface lost, he also lost his interest in the building. Sure. And so Canseco had full interest in the GM building, and that's where Harry comes into the picture. In August 2003, he purchased the GM building and, in the process, set the record at the time for the highest purchase price of any skyscraper in the history of the United States. Do you want to guess how much? At the time, or adjusted, gonna, you can decide. I'm going to Samsonite the hell out of this one, but <laughs> I'm going to guess like what, like six billion, something like that. Okay, either way, you Samsonite yeah, it. Yeah. It it was one point four billion at the uh, time, which is about two point three billion dollars now. Okay, I meant a hundred years from now, what it'll be worth. Oh, okay, <laughs> gotcha. Billion, or maybe fifty. I think it's more like ten. Yeah. Harry put in $50 million of his own money, which is about $84 million now, but also got financing help from Deutsche Bank and a guy named George Soros. Ever heard of him? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, went to, I went to Cornell. Ever heard of it? Ever heard of it. <laughs> so interestingly, the man who was best known for recklessly tearing down a building under the cover of night was now viewed as the less gauche of the developers <laughs> yeah, when it came funny. down to him and Trump. <laughs> yeah. He took down the golden Trump lettering that Fuckface put all over his building. Well, he did one thing right. Anyway. <laughs> he did, that was the one thing, yes. Yeah. Yes, between Harry Macklow and Trump, 
Harry Maclovis has the more class. <laughs> yeah, in this in this in this group of like professional thieves. Yes. Yeah, at least the, somebody got one thing right. Mm-hmm. So. The subprime mortgage crisis of 2008 did not leave Harry untouched. In 2007, while things were very much still on the rise, he bought seven skyscrapers in Manhattan for a total of $6.8 billion, which is over t- a little bit over $10 billion today. When the market went bust, he lost them all, including and the GM building, mm-hmm. which had served as collateral for the loans on the other buildings. And yet, that still wasn't the end of Harry B. Macklow. Though the crisis pushed him out of the billionaire cl- club and back in with the plebes in the millionaire, multi-millionaire club. There's no such thing as a 986 year <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, this from uh, the IT. Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. That's right. That was, that was like the big, uh, right. the big money guy. That was funny. That was really funny. But he did briefly regain his status with an estimated net worth hovering right around a billion dollars. So... Now let's get into 432 Park Avenue and its history. So the history of 432 Park Avenue goes back to its site at the corner of Park Avenue and 56th Street in Midtown Manhattan. So in 1926, the site became known for housing the famous Drake Hotel, a well-known New York luxury hotel staple near the southeast corner of Central Park. And it remained a city institution until 2006 when one Harry B. Macklow bought it for about $418 million, which is about $638 million today. He wanted the Drake not for its long and storied history, but for its land. Because that's what, just going to say, is he going to tear he this thing He likes tearing things. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. The next year, in 07, the hotel was raised in preparation for a high-rise with condos and an even more upscale hotel and a Nordstrom. The first Nordstrom of New York. City. The property remained fenced off and unutilized during the financial crisis. So they tore down this historic hotel, then couldn't afford to do anything with the site. So it was just literally fenced off (laughs) for a while. Mm -hmm. Despite his woes, Harry refused to let go of the Drake site. During the crisis, a deal was being put together by CMZ Ventures to try and buy the site from Harry. Excuse me, from Harry. CMZ Ventures consisted consisted of Arthur G. Cohen another ancient real estate city developer, Brad Zaxson, which is not a joke, that's his actual name, um, a buddy of Fred Trump, of course all these assholes know each other, and a man named Paul Manafort, who, as Wikipedia so succinctly puts it, is, quote, an American lobbyist, political consultant, attorney, and convicted felon, end quote. Yes, he is. He is possibly most recently famous for chairing Trump's 2016 presidential campaign for a few months. So that's Paul Manafort. After a lot of incredibly shady negotiations by CMZ, which included looping in both a Ukrainian natural gas mogul and a Ukrainian aluminum mogul into this deal, the whole deal fell apart. Both Manafort and partner Rick Gates later pled guilty to charges of, among others, conspiracy to defraud the United States and perjury in the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Sure. So. Par for the course. Yeah. Well, except there was convictions, so there you go. Yeah, that's true. Somebody somebody, Somebody actually served jail time. Yeah, somebody got an albatross on that one. (laughs) 
As Harry held on to 432 Park Avenue by a thread, CIM Group stepped in and agreed to pay for the development on the site. And they also generously agreed to let Harry stay on as a partner in the venture. After gobbling up some nearby property to expand the development, CIM hired well-established Uruguayan architect Rafael Vignoli to design the new building. He and his firm have designed buildings like the Cleveland Museum of Art, the National Medal of Honor Museum, and the Tokyo International Forum. But he was also known for a couple of notable missteps in his architectural career, each with similar results. I think you'll find this interesting because I know you kind of like architecture. So. Sure. Uh, Vignoli designed the Vidara Hotel on the Las Vegas Vegas Strip, which opened in 2009. Of course, a picture here. So this is the Vidara. Oh, okay. So you can see it's like a slightly curved building with all windows, right? All glass Mm -hmm. um, construction. And notably, you can see the pool down here, right? Okay. That's important (laughs) for this story. During construction of the Videra, it became apparent that the design might cause some issues. It's 57 stories of what amounts to a slightly curved tower of reflective glass. Even with attempts to add a light-absorbing solution to the windows, it became apparent after its opening that the glare from the windows beat down right onto the hotel's pool. Yeah. Raising temperatures more than 20 degrees on hot days. <laughs> and it's already and you know hot, how hot as a it gets. bastard they're all to begin with. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. This is Las Vegas. Yeah. It's 100 degrees plus in the summer every day. All the time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. when, when we went, I think the coldest it got at any given time was, was like 93 degrees. <laughs> it may Not have dipped into the 80s at night. I don't Maybe? think it ever no? did. No. Okay. But during yeah. the day, it was always like 105 oh, yes. plus. It was in it the was, hundreds. It was nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, a cool day was 99. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after people complained oh. of getting... So, so they're like, it's literally like they're boiling in yes. that pool. <laughs> one, one person said they were sitting at the pool and it felt like they were getting a chemical burn on their head. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, so it basically they were... They were being reflected (laughs) on and intensifying the heat so it's the building started to become dubbed the death ray hotel (laughs) so he can can only go swimming like in the middle of the winter when when it's 40 degrees (laughs) at at night night. (laughs) it's it's a it's a polar bear club (laughs) so you know what they did to fix it they installed umbrellas at the pool. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, they're probably not going to do much. I mean, they're no, not going to they, they, not going to take out all the windows. No, and... they did also add non-reflective coatings to the windows. Okay. But yeah, yeah that's uh, now you would think that Vignoli would have learned his lesson. But apparently he did not. So he he after this, after Vidara, he designed 20 Fench Church Street in London, also known as the Walkie Talkie Building. Due to its distinctive design, let's see what you think of this building. building. It's kind of funny. Doesn't it look like it's out of perspective? You know what it looks like? It looks like an early uh, cell phone, not a walkie-talkie. Well, they called it the walkie-talkie, but yeah. It looks Mm -hmm. like a brick cell phone. Doesn't it look like it's weirdly distorted compared to like like, a cartoon or something? Yeah, it looks like it's going to tip over, too. It does. It's It's kind of curved, yeah. I'm uh, not sure about that one. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. We'll wait till you see 432 Park. So, uh, Vignoli must have really loved the idea of a bunch of reflective glass because that's what the walkie-talkie is also made of. In 2013, the building made headlines for the exact same issue as the Vidara. The walkie-talkie served reflective... Served... Sorry. Uh, the walkie-talkie reflected highly concentrated sun rays onto the streets below, this time with a bit splashier of consequences than burning sunbathers. Specifically, it was melting the plastic components of parked cars. <laughs> resulting in Londoners dubbing it the walkie-scorchy <laughs> <laughs> and bringing back up the death ray building moniker. So here is what it did to somebody's jaguar. The walkie-scorchy, bruv. oh man yeah melted all that shit yeah I'd be not happy about that at all so obviously you know a jaguar jaguar Jaguar. owner is not going to be quiet about that and it definitely made headlines so (laughs) your building melted my car yes (laughs) Uh, Vignoli was regrettably blasé in his attitude about the situation he told the guardian quote I knew this was going to happen, but there was a lack of tools or software that could be used to analyze the problem accurately, end quote. And he also suggested that they should blame the situation on global warming. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, when it's convenient, sure. Right. Go for it. But shouldn't that also be part of your consideration in the design? No. No. Regardless of Vignoli's dubious record, Harry talked up 432 Park Avenue, saying it would be, quote, a monumental building, end quote. It'll be tremendous. It'll be great. It's a great building. I mean great because I'm a great person. It'll be the most fantastic building. So construction began on 432 Park in early 2012 with the filed building plans showing 82 stories and a total building height of just under 1,400 feet, or 426 meters. Safety violations and accidents caused delays in 2013. A crane smashed into a wall in a nearby building, causing a stop work order. After construction resumed, a 4 by 8 piece of plywood fell from its hoist and landed on the leg of a 30-year-old construction worker. Throughout 2014, the building had a propensity for falling debris. That July, a pair of wire clippers fell at a height and nearly beamed someone on the street below. You literally could stab a person oh, to death yeah. or even just hit them and knock them yeah. unconscious. Easily from at that. At that distance, yeah. yeah. And wire clippers are not a non-dangerous implements. So. No. That September, as they were pouring concrete on the 80th floor... A retaining wall blew out, scattering hunks of concrete down on the street hundreds of feet below. The building hit its maximum height in October 2014, but of course that does not mean that construction was complete, nor was the falling debris. Work halted in January 2015 when an eight-foot-long or two-and-a-half-meter metal guardrail fell off a construction elevator from the 81st floor. Jesus. Fortunately, it just hit the street, not a per- Like, it is remarkable nobody died yeah. during the construction of this building. Just landed in the road. is That's the best outcome you're going to get. Yeah. 
the construction worker was the only person who got hurt wow. somehow. And the penalties for these safety violations were only about $5,000 to $10,000 each. So there was no impetus to make it any safer. And they didn't. And that's why so many things happened. By the end of 2015, construction at 432 Park Avenue was largely largely complete. And just as Harry's monumental building was coming together, his marriage of 57 years was falling completely apart. In 2016, his wife, Linda Berg, filed for divorce. Now, divorces can be long and contentious, even with minimal assets, but a billionaire's divorce will always be much more complicated. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, all, about, it's all about the assets. That's exactly right. The Sotheby's auction of half of their private collection of art that was held in 2021 resulted in a t- in total sales of $676 million. A record for Sotheby's, which is known for its record-breaking multi-million dollar sales. Which is known for its records. <laughs> yes, exactly. In the end, Linda walked away with about half of her and Harry's assets, so she did get about half. Involved in the divorce was his and hers condos on the 78th floor of 432 Park. Linda alleged that during construction, her condo kept her condo kept shrinking in size to give way for more room for Harry's. Eventually, she was given her deposit back. <laughs> Eventually, it's like a studio apartment. Right. It's like 400 square feet. They let her get her deposit back, and she decided to continue to live at their penthouse at the plaza hotel so oh, don't you worry linda point. was doing she just doing fine right. for herself yeah by the time they were done with it it was just like the shower <laughs> like the walk-in and like that's what that's what she had to live in mm-hmm. so 432 park avenue was completed with 122 luxury condominiums of varying sizes from a studio that is only about 350 square feet or 32 square meters to a gigantic 8,255 square foot or 767 square meters, six bedroom, seven bathroom condo with its own library. Of course, no luxury building would be complete without amenities, which included on-site golf training facilities, private dining rooms, screening rooms, a private restaurant, a five-story fitness center, including a swimming pool, whirlpool, sauna, and steam room, and a library curated by a publishing house. At a finished height of 1,396 feet or 425.5 meters, it is currently the sixth tallest building in the United States and the third tallest residential building in the world. No kidding. Yep. Hmm. As for the design, the good news is that it appears that Vignoli managed not to design a death ray building again. So that's a win. The bad news is that, at least in my opinion, it doesn't look great. But you tell me. Uh, I've, I've seen this. You have? Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't think it looks hideous. It just looks like a well, it, lo- it, it looks kind of bland, which it is bland. I think is what they were probably going for. I guess so. Yeah. I don't know about that one. It but... looks like a Lego tower to me. Like a little it's bit, very yeah. A little sort bit. Of... It is very bland. I think it's very bland. I think it's very plain. I don't know. It's not, it's not to my taste. 
pages, pages, pages. Uh -oh. There we go. Um, it's been a polarizing design, to say the least. Sure. Uh, one, one critic... I mean, I mean, the Eiffel Tower is a polarizing design. That's fair. That's fair. And this thing is just, it's just kind of... It's there. <laughs> right. One critic noted it's, and they said this positively, it's, quote, childlike simplicity, end quote. I, I mean, kind of. Yes. I mean, I, but I also think that might have been the mm -hmm. intent. You know? I'm I'm guessing it was, and it yeah. is better than a death ray building. It is. So, yeah, you know. they're not scorching people below them yeah. this time, at least. Um, fashion <laughs> icon and American hero Tim Gunn said, uh. "It's quote just a thin column. It needs a little cap." <laughs> <laughs> Part of what allowed 432 Park Avenue to rise so high was its use of a loophole in New York City zoning laws. So, of course. Buildings are limited in their height under building regulations, sure. but the city allows floors that are reserved for structural and mechanical equipment to not be included in the count of maximum number of stories. It's basically like a free space, yeah, right? I see what they're doing. No matter how many stories are taken up by equipment now. Yep. Of course, there's naturally going to be a little bit of a cap on that from a money standpoint because a floor taken up is a floor not rented out. Right? So sure. that you have to weigh all those parts of it. But still, this was a loophole Harry and company took advantage of. Around 25% of the total floors of 432 Park are reserved for equipment, essentially allowing the building to be 25% taller than it would have been if it was just all residential and amenities space. Harry responded to the allegations that the building was basically like padded by saying, quote, it offends me because we created a very nice building that fits in the skyline perfectly. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, hey, I mean, let's let's face it. I'm, one of the main import exports of New York City is art, and that's what yeah. that's what architecture is. And you're taking a chance with all sorts of different with stadiums. You're taking a chance with sure. office buildings. This is a residential building. Where I kind of feel, in, in in the sense, you can take a little bit more of a chance because maybe do something different because people are actually going to live there. Yeah. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, it's not office space. It's not a stadium. Or even, like, make it look a little fancy at least because it is really expensive. It doesn't look but very it, fancy. But it stands out. <laughs> it stands out because of its height. Sure. I don't think it stands out because of its architecture. No, but, but the, hey, that's enough. Maybe. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know. I mean, I mean, real estate's real estate. The, the more floors you can add. Well, that's the thing, right? So. Another element added by Harry to make the building very nice was essentially a giant middle finger to his ex-wife, Linda. He put gigantic pictures of himself and his new wife on the corner <laughs> of the building. And that's no joke. Uh, <laughs> his face is on one side and then his new wife's face is on the other. Oh, uh, the pettiness of these people. Is so just, petty. Yeah. So petty. And I love pettiness, just to be clear. Yes, you do. But I hate rich people, so, you know. <laughs> I, I don't think it's clever at all because they're just assholes. But because of the wide variety of floor plan sizes, the condos sold for a wide range of prices between what do you think those teeny tiny studios were going for? Five million? Six and a half, okay. not far. Right. Which today is didn't, about didn't, eight. Didn't completely Samsonite it. Mm -mm. Today that's about 8.3 million. Jeez. Yeah. And oh my God. The, the higher end was, what do you think? 
for some of those bigger penthouse types? I would say you probably have to between doubling and so maybe like twenty million, something like that. Eighty-two million. Holy fucking shit! My God. <laughs> Which is about a hundred five million today. Damn. The median price though was around eighteen million or twenty-three million today. The priciest unit was sold to I guess I guess he uh, didn't mind so much selling to foreign businessmen anymore. Remember, he was like, it's all American except for one foreign businessman. <laughs> that, he, he dropped that act. Um, it was sold to a Saudi businessman named sure. Fawaz al Hokair for about four, $88 million, almost $113 million today. Do you think that guy was in the oil business? <laughs> he has his own Wikipedia article. You can read up on him. The most famous residents have largely been uh, rich business moguls and whatnot, but... Jennifer Lopez and Alex ah, Rodriguez, ah. so J Rod, or A Lo. A I like A Lo better. A Lo bought a four thousand square foot unit for fifteen point three million. Did they get divorced already or something? Oh yeah, they... she's with Ben again. Oh, that's They're right. They're again. Uh, for so they better, bought it's better for two. I like right, <laughs> better for two squared. Uh, for fifteen point three million dollars or eighteen point seven five. Now that was in twenty eighteen, but they they sold it within like a year or so. So it's mostly like uh, rich business people who are in the building. Hmm. And now we come. To the main disaster of 432 Park Avenue. Aside from it being this kind of ugly building in the middle of the city with an asshole designer and an asshole developer. Aside from the disaster, it's already, it was to begin with. Right, and it crushed somebody's leg, nearly killed a bunch of other people. Uh, Not long after the building was up and running and occupied, stories began to come out about how living in the ultra-luxurious building wasn't quite as ultra-luxurious as had been promised. Some original residents have since come out saying they regretted their purchase as soon as they moved in in 2016. One resident said that when she first visited her apartment, like right before closing, she was forced to ride up in a freight elevator with construction workers. Uh And as you can imagine, for someone who purchased a luxury condo for $17 million, (laughs) almost $22 million now, such a situation would be rather unbearable. Uh, yeah, for that for that price, I would think you would have your... The expectation would be, I have my own elevator. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> and yet, that's not at all the, the case here. Things get quite a bit worse than that. So we're going to run down the laundry list of what exactly has gone wrong with this incredibly exclusive penis, I mean building, <laughs> in the middle of Midtown. So part of the problem comes from the building's most outstanding feature, its height. It is a super tall building, right? When you are, in fact, scraping the sky, you are also subject, you also subject said skyscraper to increasingly high winds because that's what happens the higher you go up in the air, especially when you're going up hundreds and hundreds of feet. Much colder temperatures, too. That's true. Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, quite normal and incredibly important for buildings this tall to sway. And not just when subjected to the winds, right? If they were completely rigid, they would be much more prone to structural failure, Oh, yeah, they would, yes. They could snap, essentially. And the taller you get, the more you need to be able to sway. The Empire State Building 
which has a roof height, so we're not counting the antenna, right? Like the actual sure. building mm-hmm. height of 1,250 feet or 381 meters is designed actually only to move about an inch, even in very high wind speeds. It's meant to, to actually be relatively rigid. But the Willis Tower, which was formerly the Sears Tower in Chicago, which has a roof height of 1,451 feet or 442 meters, generally sways about six inches on a good day, Hmm. but will sway about three feet or a meter if the winds are high enough. Jeez. Mm Mm-hmm. But because... Buildings swaying again. Yeah, right? Well, here's the (laughs) thing. Because these buildings and others like them are designed to sway, things can continue per usual when they do. And in fact, some people who work in these buildings have taken video of like blinds swaying or like a glass of water or Mm -hmm. something like that moving on high wind days to show the sway. Otherwise, it's not necessarily... Yeah, it's not necessarily like you can feel it. But this is not the case with 432 Park Avenue. The building is not only very tall, it is very, very skinny in height. It's called a Mm -hmm. pencil skyscraper. Uh, It has a height to width ratio of about 15 to 1. So if you picture a ruler, a standard ruler, it stood on its end, it's that's roughly a 12 to 1 ratio. Okay. Add 3 inches to that. Wow, and then if you scaled that's... it up, it's really tall and skinny. Yeah. Very very skinny considering. And judging from the information from owners of condos in the building, it wasn't really built to sway to the extent that it actually does. Even though Every 12th floor in the building is actually unenclosed, which is meant to help with the wind mm-hmm. a little bit because it lets the wind go through. Um, apparently, it doesn't really help all that much. Instead, the building is kind of noisy and creepy. So residents have noted that they can hear the structure groaning oh, when it's windy and can hear the sound of rushing wind in the doorways and elevator shafts. So that's where it does get spooky. You fucking right it does. <laughs> yeah, imagine if you're riding up the elevator and you're going to hear that shit. Oh, like, let's talk about oh, the elevator. No. Um the winds uh on multiple occasion occasions have caused issues with the elevator sure. making them stall and making residents have on multiple occasions gotten stuck in the elevator sometimes for an hour and a half or better due to the cables like basically you're supposed to allow for the elevator to move at a slightly slower speed the higher you get like to be able to take some of the swing Mm. apparently they didn't because people keep getting stuck in the fucking elevator yeah that doesn't sound fun at all (laughs) no and the chair of cim group who's the developer remember is also a resident of the building And even he said that the sound and vibration that comes from the building during bad weather is, quote, intolerable. Wow. End quote. Yeah. Okay. This is the developer himself saying this really sucks. The guy's like, he's like, we need, like, to just drown this thing in WD-40. (laughs) He's like, we just need to figure out a way to do it. All the WD-40 in the world (laughs) is going to help this. Uh Like, you you would almost have to... I mean, it's beyond the point of... You would almost have to add, like, an, an outer shell addition... To... You would need to design the building differently is what you need. Yeah. Which can't be done. No. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn. And here's... Uh, speaking <laughs> of noises. That's, that's creepy as fuck. Here's another design conundrum. How do you deal with trash in an ultra high rise? 
If you're on the 85th floor, how do you how do you take out your trash? What would you suggest? I mean, you would think, you know, again, you'd have your own private elevator, but that's probably not the, the case with this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, so they throw it down a chute or something? Yep. Oh. Yep. That's a long ways. Yeah. What do you, what do you think happens when you throw a bag like it down? It explodes. A... When yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 432 Park Avenue certainly has trash chutes. The problem is when you have bags and other items of garbage falling hundreds and hundreds of feet, <laughs> yeah. it results in a whole bunch of noise all the way down and into the dumpster. At a 2019 owner's meeting, a resident noted that it, quote, sounds like a bomb, end quote. <laughs> so you can tell when somebody is, yep, probably hundreds of times a day. Just boom, boom, rattle, 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 boom. Uh. Plus the noise from the stupid swaying. Oh, man. Now, annoying as these problems are, one of the biggest issues in the building is its plumbing. There have been multiple problems with burst pipes and resultant flooding, and it's been a major, yes, a major issue for virtually all residents, starting at the very beginning. In 2016, there was a huge flooding problem causing massive water damage to the 83rd to 86th floors. Oh, that's not good. Resulting at all. in lost sales and lawsuits. Yep, mm-hmm. not good at all. Exactly. Uh, in 20, uh, I said that in November 2018, two separate plumbing issues occurred. One of which resulted in water leaks into the elevator shafts, which forced. Two of the building's residential elevators to be out of commission for weeks. Yeah, it only was... has four residential <laughs> elevators to begin with. And that's, yeah. Can you imagine 85 floors that... of, of things? I remember, like, speaking of, we were talking about Vegas earlier. I remember mm-hmm. there were times, like, yes. like you, would, you would wait, like, ten fucking minutes mm-hmm. for the, because you were in a building and that had. And those were fast elevators. Yes, because mm-hmm. you were in a building that had 100 floors. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you were going to wait. Mm-hmm. There's there's 122 condos in this building. Yes, yeah. So, and half the this elevators whole, are This out. whole thing is just a gigantic fucking mess. It is. It really is. The times that the developers have attempted to address issues have apparently not gone so well. Repairs have been called, quote, half-hearted, end quote, end quote, band-aid fixes. Of course, quote. yeah. Uh, sometimes resulting in even worse problems. Well, of course, yeah. So while attempting to repair the water infiltration system in the building, a worker accidentally drilled into the building's electrical uh, wire. Now, if you know anything about electricity, drilling into electro- electrical wire, not not exactly a great idea. The poor guy was thrown, quote, several feet through the air, end quote, in the resulting explosion which shut down the air conditioning in many units. Oh, man. Residents had to be evacuated as the electricity had to be completely shut off in the building. Maybe even more concerningly, this is reportedly only one of two separate electrical explosions that have taken place in this building because the wiring isn't properly marked. Oh, my God. Yeah. In terms of finances, things aren't so great for the residents of 432 Park Avenue either. Now, one thing we have personally experienced over the past 10 years is an increase, a high increase in our homeowners association fees, which have doubled over the past decade for us. Mm -hmm. 
but that pales in comparison with what the residents of 432 Park Avenue have experienced. Their common charges, which basically their HOA fees, went up 40% just in 2019. Wow. And insurance costs have allegedly tripled since the building was open <laughs> because of all these yeah. fucking things going on. Because it's a dangerous building to live in, mm-hmm. apparently. Now, this is my favorite. In a financial but very rich people problem, the amenities in the building apparently aren't all they're cracked up to be either. There's a private restaurant in the building, right? So it's only get, only uh, residents and their guests who are allowed to eat there was supposed to be a very nice perk because... Supposed to be. Well, it boasted a Michelin-starred chef, yeah. Sean Hergut, mm. cost a shockingly reasonable $1,200 per year per or per unit when open. Per year per unit, right? Which that it, is very... It is. Yes. Well, keep, keep listening. So that, that's about $1,500 now, but... And it included free breakfast. Yeah. Like, that's a huge deal. That's a great yeah. perk. By 2020, the free breakfast, a courtesy given to, like, people who stay at Hampton Inn and Suites, <laughs> was rescinded. And the annual fees hit $15,000. Uh. <laughs> In 2021, the condo board brought a lawsuit against Harry Macklow and the other developers, citing, quote, one of the worst examples of sponsor malfeasance in the development of a luxury condominium in the history of New York City, end quote. They claim the building is, quote, riddled with over 1,500 identified construction and design defects to the common elements of the building alone, end quote. And that, quote, Unit owners were sold a building plagued by breakdowns and failures that have endangered and inconvenienced residents, guests, and workers, and repeatedly been the subject of highly critical accounts in the press and social media, end quote. They hired an engineering firm to study the building, and the resulting report stated, quote, 73% of mechanical, electrical, and plumbing components observed Failed to conform with the developer's drawings. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Right, Metrius? <laughs> <laughs> Reportedly, the board is seeking $125 million in damages in this yeah. lawsuit. Yeah. It's a bunch of rich people suing a bunch of rich people. Mm. So. The case remains open in the New York Supreme Court with an appearance date of June 25th, 2024 on file. Yeah, okay. For their part, CIM has stated that 432 Park Avenue, quote, is a successfully designed, constructed, and virtually sold-out project, end quote. And that the residents' complaints are, quote, vastly exaggerated. <laughs> this was reminding me of that movie, like, The Money Pit. Yes. The, the entire time, like, you were going through. The Money Pit Tower, yes. Yeah, the, money the Towering ta- Inferno the Money, money tower. Pit. Yeah, the Money Tower. <laughs> the Money Tower. That, that sounds like a strip club, mm-hmm. but anyway. Harry declined to comment. Yeah, I bet. The developers are, are countersuing. And seeking damages due to reputational damage by the publicity of the residents' grievances, one original resident, Serena Abramovich, said, quote, everything here was camouflage. If I knew then what I knew now, I would never have bought, end quote. Yeah. As for Harry, at 86 years old, he's continuing his apparent goal to dot the New York City skyline with hideous, super tall buildings. In 2019, his firm unveiled their plans for Tower Fifth, 
a 1,556 foot or 474 meters tall skyscraper across the street from St. Patrick's Cathedral on Fifth Avenue. Uh, yeah, it's probably not going to work. This is the skyline with a rendering. What That's the like? building they want to build. Yeah. No. No. Yeah, it doesn't no. work. It looks like see that's it looks like Park. I was just gonna say I was gonna say it looks like it's it look now it looks like it's two droids. It does. And this is the that's, that's the, the older trooper one. <laughs> right no that's the older model and that's the newer model. Oh I gotcha uh huh. I mean it's the same. See it's all this bigger one is mm-hmm. what this smaller one should have been to begin with. I mean I still don't like the bigger one. No I don't either but it wouldn't have the same functional problems that it does if it was originally this size. Well, but, it's it's thicker. It's not as skinny. Right. But. That's what I'm saying. But but either way, that's the, not if you're not. I'm if gonna do the, uh, the. You're a terrible the developer. Simon, the Simon Cowell gif. That's a no for me. No, that was <laughs> wasn't that um, Randy. That's a no, no for me, dog. No. Well, that's a no for me. Oh, that's Simon's that was... just. It's a no for me. Gotcha. Off you go. Off you go. Off you go. <laughs> it would be if if it's built, it will be the second tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. Second. Or, uh, I really yeah, hope. second to One World Trade Center. With all the problems that this fucking first building has. No joke. Why would you give the firm, this anybody man. anybody associated with it, like, I mean, like, lawyers and, like, other, like, why would you give anybody... Because rich people make bad decisions. Well, they can, right? They do. And it's just like, why would you, it's like, fix the other building first. Oh, they, there is like, no fixing that no, building. But that's, but... But there's something just you can do. Just stop doing yeah, just, it yeah. is the answer. Stop building these fucking giant super tall buildings. Yeah. Like, stop feeling insecure about your penis and just... But here's the thing. The the first building has such a bad reputation. And we're hearing about it here just be like, oh, this is interesting. But if you live in... Oh, it'd be horrible. If, if you're a socialite in New York right. City... This is a disaster. You know about this building. And <laughs> yes. so the guy building another one... But you know what? These people have so much fucking money. They yes. they can just be like, well, whatever. Yeah. I'm just gonna buy it for my nephew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. Which is that, that was a plot line. Remember in uh, uh, the the show we were watching on HBO with the rich people, the very rich people, the business people. Oh, Succession. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Remember when he he just bought Greg the, oh, yeah. that, that apartment because he needed to dump money somewhere. Right. Uh huh. He was just like, here, have it. Yeah. It was and it was like a Park Avenue. Yes. Like H- condo. High ceilings, beautiful yes. views. Yes. Uh-huh. And he was just like, here, have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's almost yeah. like that's almost like what that would feel like. That was if somebody part of buys the... something in this new building if it does get built. That was part of the selling point of four thirty two park is that depending on the side of the building you were in, you'd get Central Park views. Well plus you And they were ama- they're amazing views, but even but even on top of that, your address is Park Avenue. It is. In New York City. In Midtown, yep. Yeah. Right next that to Central al- Park. That yeah. alone is worth money. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so yeah. In the meantime, oh oh, uh, so along with 432 Park Avenue, some critics are panning the design of Tower Fifth, accusing Harry of ruining the New York City skyline. I mean, if they build this new one, yeah. I mean I mean none of it looks good. No. In the meantime. I mean, and it makes the other one kind of, this one, uh-huh. like, not being there yet, makes the other one stick out, like, I think even more. Right. Uh-huh. Like, it would camouflage it a little bit if there was two of them. Maybe. <laughs> in the meantime, if you have some spare cash and want to live in a structurally unsound, noisy, plumbing problem-riddled giant penis in the middle of Manhattan, 
29E is available for $7 million and 36A is on the market for $17 million. Here is, just for funsies, the floor, the floor plan, plan. Okay, interesting. of 36A, the $17 million one. It 30, does look so kind of fun. 36 floor. I would still want a balcony. Well, or like a are, sunroom. These are all windows. Yeah. Just to clarify. Still, no, I know. It's entirely windows. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> we got seven million laying around, right? No, this is that's the seventeen million one. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, we have we, yeah. we, we only that. have seven. We've got that too. <laughs> of course. No, if if I was ever going to spend a million, if I was ever going to spend two point three million dollars on a house. Uh-huh. It would be that one in Mexico in Say Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, like one of the first the NSF. NS ones. Oh, mm-hmm. man. That, I, I want to live there. <laughs> um, also, if you prefer a full floor residence, there is one available. The 34th floor is available for $28 million. So, you know. Yeah. Of course, the reason this is all very fun to talk about is because it's especially difficult to feel much empathy for people who can afford to buy multi-million dollar homes. One finance professor tweeted, quote, Condos at 432 Park are like the GameStop shares for billionaires. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But it does go to show that being rich does not make you immune to the rich, who are usually the ones bilking everyone, including rich people. Yeah. And that, my yeah. friends, is the story of 432 Park Avenue. Jeez. What'd you think? Uh, I mean, just deficiencies all around. <laughs> And just, there's mental deficiencies, yeah. there's building deficiency. I mean, everything. Just the layout of New York City is kind of a deficiency. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> I mean... And this isn't helping. <laughs> no, and, and that's the thing, is like, like, you see this thing, that's kind of what it looks like, and you're like, how did it get there? Like, it doesn't make any sense for it to even be there, really. It's it's just to try and, and make, break records and make yeah. money. yeah. I mean, it is like it's it's not a middle finger. It's just a it's just a dick to the world. It is a dick to the world. <laughs> just like how just like guy, Harry B. Maxwell. Just like how this guy's lived his life. Yes. Like with, with his balls just hanging out all Basically. the time. Yeah, because yeah. What's the old motto? Like, why do people do what they do? Because they can. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's this dude. Mm-hmm. He built an ugly ass. Well, I'm not even gonna say ugly. That's the wrong word. He built Boring an ass. He built an obscure looking eighty what five floors? Six or something. Eighty six like floor building on Park Avenue that stands out like a sore thumb because yeah. people weren't supposed to be able to really build something that That's high. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need to stop doing it. Because it's bullshit. So yeah, alright. <laughs> alright. Oh fuck this guy. Yes. <laughs> fuck you, Harry B. Macklow. Uh, you're 86. You're close to death anyway. I mean, even if you pay, like, even if you have a, co- a condo for 17 million or 28 million, you could still have a slumlord. Yes. <laughs> there you go. That's right. I mean, that's right. I mean, that's yeah. what the, that's what the situation is. Pretty much. And it sounds like a. Uh, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> what a waste. Yeah. <laughs> well. That was another episode of All Bad Things. No, nope, say the title. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. <laughs> that was 432 Park Avenue. Mm-hmm. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. That's Oop. Demetrius. And that is Demetrius. <laughs> if you can hear him, we'll see you next week. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> <laughs>